big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patron, Caitlin. Welcome to the team. If you want access to bonus content like outtakes, our notes, and bonus episodes where we talk about content we're consuming that isn't Jane Austen, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. We also have new merch designed by our pal Jess Patino, available now at the link in the episode description. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters four and five of Emma. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma. Emma! Emma! Chapters four and five. And we are here, listeners. We already told our patrons this, but I just we just have to tell you, we finally got an interface and we are recording together in the same room and it's great. Yeah, to be fair, we have recorded in the same room together before, but it has always been a bit of a hullabaloo. We always record in my apartment because Molly lives over a bar. So we're always in the back room and we we put pillows up, we put comforters up, uh, we, we crouch on the floor, rather Molly often crouches on the floor. To get the right sound for you guys. But you know what's fantastic? We have this interface now where we can sit face to face and not worry about talking over each other and just record an episode of this podcast. We're finally just going to be like talking. I know. I know it sounds like we're so natural, guys, but usually we're like contorted while we're talking. So this is great. This is just, it's unbelievable. We feel very professional. So. Yes. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, you can give us money at patreon.com. Yes. And I should also point out that we have added new content at this point to our Patreon, where we are giving our recommendations on all things pop culture to our patrons. Our first episode was just recorded. And if I do say so myself, it's pretty cool. So if you want access to those little bonus episodes where we give our pop culture recommendations, that is something you get as a $7 patron. So you can head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. Correct. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Becca was looking at me like, is that the URL? Uh, yeah, in case you guys don't know, Molly is so in charge of all of our marketing and she does such a fantastic job oh. that I'm just useless on all of it. <laughs> but Becca knows more about Jane Austen. And speaking of which. Speaking of which, we have more chapters of this book to go through. And boy, oh boy. Do you learn more? We are talking about chapters four and five of Emma. Yes. Molly, how are you doing so far? Um, honestly, Emma is so unlikable as a character. I texted the group chat today, listeners, and I was like, so far, Emma, parentheses, the character sucks. But I'm, I'm really excited to get into it because I feel like some plot points are starting to come out. Indeed. And I and have predictions. Oh, I'm so excited. I have so many study questions at the end of this one, so we should get to recording it. Yes, let's talk about it. <laughs> so chapter four. Harriet Smith 
is coming around Hartfield more and more. And I have to say that the way they describe this friendship is very gay. And it would just not be me if I didn't just point it out. By they, you mean Jane Austen. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. <laughs> I do not think this book is going in any gay direction. I'll just put that on the record right now. But I will mention it every episode. It says things like, as their acquaintance increased, so did their satisfaction in each other. I read it more um, a little hero worshipy on Harriet's part. Emma is very pleased to have a new walking companion since Mrs. Weston's, quote, exercise has been too much confined since she got married. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Nudge, nudge. Basically meaning that she just, you know, stays at her estate and not at all that she's banging Mr. Weston. Oh, no, they fucking. Good, good, good. Just just checking. Just making sure that that's what it meant. I um, mean, I, I, I don't remember this off the top of my head and I should look it up, but it might be a nod to her getting possibly preggers soon. Oh, so. oh, yes, confined. Emma finds Harriet to be a very satisfactory friend since she's impressionable, docile, and grateful. But, quote, such a friend as Mrs. Weston was out of the question. Two such could not be granted. Two such she did not want. I really liked that. It is very sweet. Uh, you get a real sense of the nuances of these different friendships and relationships for Emma. She really cares about the women in her life and she doesn't have a desire to click it up or replace anybody. She just she wants closeness with women in her life. Yeah, I really like about this book so far that it is very focused on female friendship. And I know you told me that and I know that's a thing. And we've had sister tales before. It's a seaside tale, but this one's not a seaside tale. It's like a garden tale. It's like a garden <laughs> tale about friends. But the like absence of the main relationship in Emma's life being a man is really noticeable. And I really like that so far. However, this kind of friendship that she has with Harriet is that she wants to be useful to her. So she wants to guide her. And she starts by wanting to find out who Harriet's parents are. I didn't realize that Harriet didn't know herself who her parents were. I thought that nobody else knew and that she was like even in a secret. No, no. She's like legit kind of an orphan. It's yeah. not clear. All we know is that she has somebody paying for her tuition. Gotcha. Wow, and she just like truly doesn't know. She just has like a sugar daddy off somewhere, just not revealing themselves. Kind of. I mean, you could take the implication to mean that she's like a bastard child of someone wealthy who they keep hush. Right, because Emma does say like you have no, re no one has any proof that you're not a gentleman's daughter. So you might as well be a gentleman's daughter. Yes, which is not exactly how the society works, but it's cute that Emma's going for it that way. <laughs> totally. Emma doesn't, know a lot about the world stuff. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Harriet has nothing really to talk about except her schooling with Mrs. Goddard and her two months with the Martins on Abbey Mill Farm she talks of the farm with such admiration that Emma can only attribute to quote youthful simplicity because Emma is a snob oh endless snob she is so, so snobby snobby <laughs> she is very like oh my gosh, you're so cute that you like loved the farm so much. That's adorable. How quaint. How quaint, exactly. For a while, she thinks it's cute, but then she realizes that the young Mr. Martin that she keeps talking about is single and she's like, oh shit, like Harriet might fall for someone who's not suitable for her. However, the way that it's phrased, I have to point out because again, it wouldn't be me. Uh, it sounds like Emma doesn't want her to have a crush on someone because Emma has a crush on her. I mean, that's a way to interpret it. We're all about the modern interpretation here. Yeah. You know what? What I want is like, I know everyone's like, have you not seen Clueless? And I'm like, well, I have, but it's just been so long that all I have is like an image in my head. So I am picturing them in the Regency era, but wearing like yellow plaid. I just want to like throw that out there. But <laughs> just like an M 
vampire waist dress in yellow plaid. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. If you're an artist, someone draw that for us, please. Please. We'll put it on a t-shirt. I swear. I'll pay you. But what I want is a modern day adaptation of Emma that is gay. Yeah. I, I mean, that that would that would be something I'd be interested in hearing about too. So if there's any fan fiction out there, let us know, listeners. Yeah. And maybe when I finish this book, I'll work on it myself. Who knows? Who's to say? Whom's to even? Ah, throwback to season two. Go yeah. on. <laughs> So Emma starts asking Harriet more and more about Mr. Martin, and it's obvious from how she talks about him that she does like him. She says that one time he walked three miles just to bring her some walnuts. Which, like, that whole description of him, so it's really one of those things that's a brilliant writing moment from Jane Austen, because you really see her learning the showing, not telling in the writing. And she she goes on to, like, show all these things Harriet's describing Mr. Martin doing. And as she's describing them, you really get this sense of warmth and softness, gentleness. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, fondness. Yeah. This real fondness comes out. And the story of him, like, getting her nuts because she wanted D's nuts. <laughs> oh, my God. Because she wanted, she was hungry and she likes nuts. She likes walnuts, everybody. She likes walnuts. The whole story is very tinged with this you know the way that like people talk about their crushes Mm -hmm. you know it's got that little like hmm, this little spark to it she's definitely got a crush a crush even a crush mrs martin says at she has said at some point to harriet that he's gonna make a good husband one day but she's in no hurry to marry him off and then after harriet left mrs martin sent mrs goddard a goose and uh, it was the best goose ever. Yeah, I mean, it's great because when I was first reading it, I was like, oh, is it a live goose or a dead goose? And I then thought it was-, it was a live goose. And I was so confused when they were like, she dressed it and had everyone to dinner. I was like, is the goose hanging out with them? Spot the vegan, y'all. <laughs> no, dressing is like you fill it. With I figured like, it yeah, out. Yep, yeah, there you go. There you go. It's They, they ate the goose. <laughs> That's what yeah. happened. Emma assumes that Mr. Martin doesn't read and Harriet's like, oh, well, he he reads. He reads agricultural reports, but not out loud just to himself. So I should be clear. It doesn't it's not clear that she doesn't know if he can like actually read books in this moment. It's also possible she's saying he doesn't like read. He's not cultured. He's not cultured. Right. And Harriet is like. I know he's at least read this one book and I recommended him two books and he said he would get them. Yeah, she describes that he's mostly like reading like the Farmer's Digest, but like also reads aloud occasionally. Yeah, she said that he read aloud to them from and it was very entertaining. Emma asks then if he's handsome and Harriet's like, no, but quote, I thought him very plain at first, but I do not think him so plain now, which is very cute like the more she got to know him the more interesting he became to her we, we talked about that with edward and eleanor a little yeah. bit <laughs> oh molly molly's making a shipping face i really i really like mr martin and i'm trying to like in my mind i'm just like trying to picture how this plays out how will this badge how will this badge i have ideas but i don't think that any of them are right yet there keeps being new characters introduced god so harriet then asks if emma has seen him before because he drives by or like rides by on his horse every day. And Emma says, quote, a young farmer, whether on horseback or on foot, is the very last sort of person to raise my curiosity. And I I just have to say that I, I really hope she falls for a young farmer and uh, learns to not make such snap judgments about people because of their status. <laughs> Molly just wrote fucking rude. It was fucking rude. It's rude. Yeah, 
yeah, Emma's very rude, as you can tell. Actually, what I wrote was, honestly, I hope Emma falls for a young farmer. Damn, that would teach her to be so fucking rude. I mean, yeah, she's definitely uh, not into the idea of her buddy be, like being with a farmer. There's something about the ring of it that doesn't speak to her. Right. And and knowing that there is a movie based on this about high schoolers, it feels so high school. Like, oh, you cannot date him. There's so many. Oh, God, we're going to talk about this in the study questions. But there's so many ways in which Emma is your quintessential popular girl, but like an interesting popular girl. Because like, it's not like she's pure evil, like, say, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character in Cruel Intentions. There's like the Heathers kind of popular girl. Mm -hmm. Or there's like, you know... There's an Emma who's, you know, she's got like good qualities too. Yeah. Like I like her. I just hate her also. There's a way in which like popular girls are really brilliant and care a lot about their friends in a lot of pop culture representations. And I think it taps into something very real about the um, lack of place for female intelligent to be placed. Like there's not very many outlets that are like societally acceptable in this time mm. for women who are as smart as Emma. So she's like using it in these conniving ways to like, you know, use the people around her as pawns. And yeah, she certainly seems just like restless about her life and bored. And part of that boredom is cleverness. And it's translating in ways that are not always flattering to her. Yeah. Molly's like bug eyed. <laughs> I'm loving it. So after. Emma says the thing about young farmer like would never catch her attention. Harriet's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course you wouldn't have noticed him. <laughs> and in my notes, I wrote, she's so impressionable. One might even say clueless. <gasps> boom, boom, boom. So that's that's where I guess that the title of that movie comes from is, is Harriet being a little clueless as to not that necessarily the world around her, maybe Emma being a little clueless to the world around her or like to people's actual feelings and um, Harriet being clueless to society or like what Emma's doing. I will neither confirm nor deny. Cool. So apparently Mr. Martin knows exactly who Emma is and Emma likes that he knows exactly who she is because she likes being perceived. (laughs) (laughs) She asks how old he is and uh, Harriet says that he's 24 and that her birthday is 15 days after his, but she's not 24, right? No, Harriet's like 16 or 17. Okay, so their birthdays are just near each other. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So he's 24 and Emma is like, oh, well, that's too young to settle. He should wait six years and find someone of his same status who has like a little money. And Harriet is shocked that she thinks that he should wait till he's 30 to get married. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're definitely just both laughing at the, like, contemporary of it all. Yeah. Uh, She's like, that's old. And I was like, that's as early as any man who isn't born to an independence can settle. He has to make his own money. And Harriet's like, well, they aren't poor, poor. They might not have a servant, but they have a, they're talking about, quote, taking a boy another year, which I'm assuming means, like, a farmhand or something. Basically, no, what, what they're saying is basically that they have someone helping them outside. They just don't have someone helping them inside. So the cooking and the cleaning for the home would fall to uh, the mother and then later to Mr. Martin's wife. So remember when we were in Pride and Prejudice and how offended Mrs. Bennett was that Mr. Collins thought one of the daughters cooked the meal? Yes. It's like a societal thing to be able to not do anything in your own house. And the Martins 
you know, they're comfortable. They're not starving. They have a nice large farmhouse that they lease from Mr. Knightley. And they, you know, have, you know, a pretty lucrative farm. But they're not the type of people who would have a cook. Right. Or a footman, the way that the Dashwoods downgraded and still had two servants. Totally. Then Emma says that when he does marry, but specifically, she's like saying, you know, when he gets married to someone who's not you, which I think is pretty cunning, she says Harriet should not become friends with his wife. Even though his sisters are educated and they're fine, she imagines that he won't marry someone fit to be connected with Harriet. And... She warns Harriet that her situation, which, you know, with everything, not knowing who her parents are and everything, could cause people to take pleasure in degrading her. This is where she says that nobody can prove she's not a gentleman's daughter, so she might as well act like a gentleman's daughter. And I think this whole speech is very cunning because she's like, I know what I want. I want to set her up with someone who's not this man. So I'm going to tell her not to befriend his wife, his future wife, when he gets married to someone else, because that plants into her head that he is not going to marry her. Yeah, and, and it's very subtly done. It's it's working off the assumption. She's planting in Harriet's brain the assumption that, like, she couldn't possibly marry Mr. Martin because, like, if Emma doesn't think that he's a viable option, that puts the question in Harriet's brain of whether or not Mr. Martin is a viable option. Right, and it's like he's definitely not because he's marrying someone else. It wouldn't even occur to her to say, oh, not, not for you. Right. Yeah, so it's definitely Emma at her most cunning. She's also making a lot of assumptions. She's also very classique on the Emma front. <laughs> yes. Harriet is like, well, I know that people could look down upon me, but as long as I'm with you, I don't think that anyone would say anything to me. And Emma says, that's very sweet, but she wants her to be well-connected on her own. And so she just doesn't want him, her to be friends with his future wife. I think that there's the possibility that Emma's making all these assumptions about his future wife who's being going to be poor and uneducated and not worth Harriet's time. I just think there's a possibility that Mr. Martin's going to marry someone rich. I just think that would be fun. You know what I'm going to do? Neither confirm nor deny. Neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> Harriet thinks that he's going to marry someone educated, but she doesn't want to contradict Emma, so she backtracks after she says that. And she's like, uh, yeah, but I'll be very sorry to have to stop talking to his sister's if he marries a vulgar woman, because I'll, I'll absolutely cut them off. And Emma's watching this whole thing and deciding that there's no symptoms of love in her mannerisms. And therefore, Harriet won't oppose any, quote, friendly arrangement of her own. So basically, Emma's going to set Harriet up with someone. Oh, yeah. No, she's she's already defined herself as a matchmaker. Yes. yes. So she's she has found her prey. She is a matchmaker. She has found her prey. She must just find another prey and then just predate. predate. Predator? Predate? Prey? I don't know. Yeah, smoosh them together. Smoosh them together. Yes. The next day, they run into Mr. Martin on the road, and Emma decides that while he is clean and sensible... When put up next to a real gentleman, Harriet will quickly forget about him because he has no proper manners. They only talk for a few minutes because, quote, Miss Woodhouse must not be kept waiting. I really love the narrator who just continually sasses Emma. Yeah, it's Jane Austen in her chair and just turning to you and being like, well, this little bitch again. <laughs> yeah, so Jane Austen in the rocking chair in the corner, a common theme from season one of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you can see like she she's doing it again much more in this book where she's kind of winking at you a lot through her words. Yeah, she's like, Emma was nice. Wink, wink. <laughs> God. 
Harriet is so cute. She runs over to Emma and she's like, oh, he wasn't able to get the book that I recommended, but he's going back to town tomorrow. And and what did you think of him? Did you think he was plain? And Emma just like rips him to shreds. She's like, his appearance might be bad, but that's the least of our problems. It was terrible. She was like, what, what other things did she say? She says that he completely lacked gentility and she calls him clownish. Like she's like, that clown? Really that guy? To be fair, when I don't want someone to, one of my friends to date someone, I will also call him a clown. Fair enough. Yes, yes. But, you know. But I have... she also just met this girl. Exactly. And I also don't have this kind of influence over my friends, which I wouldn't want anyway. So. Right. But I do get the instinct to be like, no, 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 honey. No, 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 no. Not that one. You want, you want a better one. Yeah. Harriet immediately changes her mind. She's like, yeah, you're right. She's like, Yeah. I mean, who would who would who fall crush on that guy? Yeah, who who would fall deep into those brown eyes like they're swimming in a pool of chocolate? I don't not me, not, not me. me, certainly not me. <laughs> <laughs> Emma then points out that Harriet has now met lots of real gentlemen, and she would be surprised if Harriet could see Mister Martin again without perceiving him to be a very inferior creature and rather wondering at yourself for having ever thought him at all agreeable before. She asks if Harriet has noticed how monotonous his voice was and how, like, boring he is, basically. And Harriet is like, well, he's definitely no Mr. Knightley. And Emma says, yeah, well, nobody is Mr. Knightley. It's not fair to compare anyone with Mr. Knightley. Someone has a little crush on Mr. Knightley. She doesn't know it yet, but she's very like, yeah, either, either. It could be read two ways. Either she's like, yeah, well, no one can compare to Mr. Knightley as, like, that guy like because they have that kind of bantery relationship becca is so good at the stone face i'm like trying to get something out of her it could either be like oh mr knightley yeah he's he's too gentlemanly like we can't compare it. or it could be like yeah mr knightley's perfect either way there's something going on there something is afoot something's afoot i think something is afoot well i would also just add one more interpretation there as well is that um mr knightley and i think this is important partially to the context is by far the wealthiest man they're talking about and the most um, esteemed in terms of class. Totally. So that's another part of it as well, is that like Mr. Knightley is like really high up in the so world. So she could just mean he's too gentlemanly in that way. She could just mean he's like, oh, well, you can't compare Robert Martin to Mr. Knightley because Mr. Knightley is like got this giant mansion and he leases the farmland to Mr. Martin. And like Mr. Knightley's been trained from like day one to be the perfect gentleman. Like Totally. That actually makes a lot more sense. Because I feel like she wouldn't so openly be saying things about Mr. Knightley being gentlemanly in his manners. Like, she's just not that kind of person who, like, Mr. Knightley, on the other hand, we'll get into it next chapter. But he, like, does, has no problem talking about people's manners and, like, how hot they are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got some opinions. Yeah. But meanwhile, Emma, like, I feel like Emma wouldn't give herself away that easily. Well, I think it's also just the fact, like, she knows Mr. Knightley quite well. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's Knightley. Like, right. Like, he's he's too high up. But she does say you should compare him either with Mr. Weston or Mr. Elton. Harriet's like, well, Mr. Weston is too old. He's almost 40 or 50. <laughs> and Emma says that makes his manners even more valuable because the older someone is, the more glaring and disgusting their loudness or coarseness becomes. This is actually a very interesting piece of the story, just comparing to Weston and Elton, because we have Mr. Martin, who is a farmer, Mr. Weston, who was in the military and then made his way through trade 
to having a decent enough sum to buy an estate. And then you have Mr. Elton, who is a recent member of the clergy. And you've learned a little bit about the Jane Austen world at this point in time. And you can kind of tell me where those each fall within like the hierarchy of class in the Jane Austen world as professions. So the clergy is like a good, solid living. And I relate that to Edward or Mr. Mr. Collins. So like doing well for themselves, depending on where your parish is. And I know that he's a vicar. So and his vicarage is small, but he has like some income. This is Mr. Elton. So he has like some he has some good income and like a good living like he's steady. The military people go into it poor, but come out very like Esteemed. Not necessarily. Sometimes, I guess like some of them do. Yeah. Because like um, you, you look at Wickham, who joins as sort of like a foot soldier mm-hmm. and pulls his way up. And, but then you also have like a Colonel Brandon, who's very esteemed and comes from a high up family, but he was just the second son, so he needed a profession. But I think um, Mr. Weston was not just in the military. He was also a tradesman in his later life, and that is how he made his fortune, which kind of puts him in the same vein as like a Mr. Gardener. Right. Which, which is, are looked down upon by gentlemen. Yes, but you can almost buy your way in, like, for example, by next generation, Mr. Bingley. So you have these different levels of class sort of playing in, but we have our first farmer here, who I think sufficiently falls below both Mr. Elton and Mr. Weston on that scale of class, but all of them fall below Mr. Knightley, who is inherited wealth. Right. The economics of Jane Austen, not dating it, just in general. The economics of how men make their money in Jane Austen, which is weirdly, it's like weirdly disconnected from whether or not they work. Right. (laughs) So I wanted to connect getting older and loudness and coarseness being less agreeable with Mrs. Jennings. Oh, yeah, very true. And, um, oh, who's another good example? Mrs. Bennet. Mrs. Bennet and just... You know, there's a lot of old characters in Jane Austen who lost their shit in old days. I mean, even Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Catherine de Bourgh! (laughs) Yeah. So I can kind of see where she's coming from with, like, can you imagine how Mr. Martin will be when he's that old? But I also don't think that Mr. Martin is as bad as she's making him out to be. Harriet is like, oh my god, you're right. Like, yeah, he will be terrible when he's that age. Emma then says, you know, he's only going to think of profit and eventually he will make his money, but then he won't have any time to read. And if he's illiterate, he won't be worth our time, which is a very strange logic. Like she's like, yeah, he is going to make his money and he won't be poor forever, but then he's not going to be well read. Well, that's the higher class looking down on the having to work for your money. Right. Yeah, because Emma inherited her wealth, as did her father. So, you know. There's there's something in the classism of this time period where like working hard is gauche because if you've inherited your wealth, you don't need to work hard. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Harriet then says, I wonder he did not remember the book. And the way that she says it, I can't tell if she's saying like, I wonder why he didn't remember the book or like, no wonder he didn't remember the book. I, I think she's like kind of saying to herself like oh you know what that was weird yeah that makes a lot of sense emma then says that mr elton could actually be considered better than knightley or weston just as a model gentleman because he is so gentle mr weston is too quick-witted so if anyone 
used him as a model and acted the way he did, it would come off badly. And Mr. Knightley is kind of blunt and uh, commanding. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he's just a little bit like, he just says whatever he wants to. And he's like a grump. <laughs> yeah, he's an old grump. Um, and if anyone else acted that way, it would be insufferable. But Mr. Elton is the perfect model of a gentleman, mainly because he's boring. He doesn't have like too many personality traits. That's what I'm getting from this anyway. We don't know yet. We haven't met him. Yeah, well, I mean, we have met him, but we've only vaguely met him. We haven't really gotten to know him. Yeah. She says that he's been particularly gentle lately and thinks it must be to impress Harriet. And Harriet blushes when she hears this and says, well, she's always found him agreeable. And so it is that Emma has decided to set up Mr. Elton and Harriet Smith. And we have another match on books. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Wait, we should have a sound effect for Emma making matches. Ooh, yes, Graham. Let's have an Emma matchmaking sound effect. Yes, let's make it something like a Cupid's arrow. Oh, I was going to say like a matchbox, like being struck. Ooh, like a matchmaker. Yes, yeah. like, yes. Yeah. Graham, can you can you play with that? Give, <laughs> us, give us something cool. Have some fun. Yeah. So she thinks to herself that it's almost too easy. Like, this is too likely to happen. And... People are going to think that, like, she had nothing to do with it. She can't really get credit for it. Kind of like Mr. Knightley said, she doesn't actually do anything. (laughs) And she's like, no, I can't prove him right. I actually have to, like, work at this. Right. She's worried that everyone's going to be like, we already knew that was going to happen. But she knows that she predicted it first because she predicted it the first day that she met Harriet. And Mr. Elton is a gentleman, but not of a family that could fairly object to Harriet's doubtful birth. Who is Mr. Elton's family? I mean, we don't know yet. It sounds like he's from a family of the like caliber of the Bennets, where like the gentleman's family, but you know, not so high up in the world that they can be that picky. Right. Like he has kind of made his own living, maybe, by joining the clergy. Well, I mean, the clergy is something that second sons often do. And it's just like it's a common profession for a gentleman's son to do. Um, if they're not going to end up inheriting their own estate or in the time period before they inherited the estate, if you're, say, Mr. Collins. Basically, he's from a gentleman's family, but just not not anybody too impressive. So Emma already knows that Mr. Elton finds Harriet attractive because Harriet is attractive. And she knows that if Harriet thinks he likes her, she will also like him because she likes being liked. And Mr. Elton is the sort of man any woman not fastidious, which means very attentive to and concerned about accuracy and detail, or basically any woman not picky, might like. Again, I think we're settling because Emma doesn't even find him attractive. Yes, but Emma's also fussy. Emma's fussy. Emma's picky. But I feel like she's just picked someone who's kind of boring for someone who she's not giving enough credit to. That's just what I think. That is a Molly opinion, everyone. We've got our first opinion. The first opinion? No, it's not. Have you ever had an opinion before, I've had lots of opinions and original <laughs> thoughts. Thank you. But Emma thinks, the girl who could be gratified by a Robert Martins riding about the country to get walnuts for her might very well be conquered by Mr. Elton's admiration. Maybe well. Who's to say? Whomst, if you will. Which brings us to chapter five. Yes, we are. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. 
The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. I wanted to say that I love a chapter that starts with someone talking mid-conversation. Yes. So it starts with Mr. Knightley talking with Mrs. Weston and him just saying, you know, I don't know about you, but I think this friendship between Emma and Harriet is not so good. And Mrs. Weston is like, what are you talking about? They're both going to do each other a lot of good. And it turns out they argue about Emma a lot. Yes. And I love this because, first of all, we rarely get whole chapters without our leading ladies in them in Jane Austen books. And this is an entire chapter where even though Emma is the the topic of conversation, it is just two people who care about her talking to each other. And they have very different opinions on who she is. Yes, very different. And what she does. Knightley says she must think he came out on purpose while Mr. Weston was out because then... Mrs. Weston would have to fight her own battles and defend her own opinions. But Mrs. Weston is like, no, he would definitely agree with me because we were just talking last night about how good this friendship is for Emma. She says Mr. Knightley could never understand because he's so used to living alone that he doesn't know the value of having a companion, which I think is kind of a sad life and explains a little bit why he's kind of curmudgeonly. Oh, yeah. I mean, in some ways, Mr. Knightley is like the Ron Swanson of this town. Yeah, yeah. Coming from someone who doesn't watch that show. Everyone loves and respects Mr. Knightley, and he, like, cares for everyone, but he's also just like, I also like my space, Yeah, and I hate everyone. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else is like that. I mean, I, I know enough about Parks and Rec to know Ron Swanson, and his vibe, but I feel like there's a lot of characters like that. I'm trying to think of another one. I don't need another one. That's a good reference. Then Mrs. Weston says, perhaps no man can be a good judge of the comfort a woman feels in the society of one of her own sex after being used to it all her life, which reinforces that this book is really about female friendship. And I love that. She says maybe Harriet isn't the perfect companion for Emma, but if Emma wants to see her better educated, then they'll probably read together. And Mr. Knightley says Emma has been meaning to read more ever since she was 12 years old. I find the history between them very interesting because he talks about her like growing up and he says that he's been watching her make lists of books that she's been meaning to read all her life. He even kept one she wrote when she was 14, which is a little bit weird. He's like is one of those people who go very far for the principle of the matter. Yeah. Uh, like he's very stubborn. And you can tell Emma's one of those people who like 
is set to offer a hot take after reading like a Slate article about a movie instead of actually seeing the movie. Totally. Yeah. And Knightley is someone who's very pissed off by that. So he's basically like documented in his brain all these instances when she's pretended to like have been well read on something but not been well read on something. Yeah. And so he's like, he's like, no, it's the principle of the matter. I'm documenting that she's full of shit. I find it fascinating because she is so concerned with other people being well read and then she's sitting there making lists of books she's going to read and being like, it's, never mind. It's still really common in like society. I mean, I'm sure you know people like this. I know I know people like this. Absolutely. I, at one point in time in college, I had a conversation with a man who was trying to talk to me about Shakespeare. And it became very clear very early in the conversation. I knew more than him about Shakespeare. And he had to admit halfway through the conversation where he was trying to be pretentious about plays I liked that he had read almost none of them. And I was like, well, okay, but then you can't have this intellectual conversation with me. So Emma's basically the type of person to have that intellectual conversation without doing the reading beforehand, which is half the people we went to college with. Totally. And it's so annoying. It's very annoying as a trait, which is why Mr. Knightley is like, no, I will document this. You have not actually read this book. Then Mr. Knightley says that Mrs. Weston couldn't ever persuade her to read as much as she wanted her to. And Mrs. Weston's like, well... Yes, at the time, I felt that too. But now I can't remember Emma ever not doing as she was told. Basically, like, she's only remembering the fond memories with Emma. And Mr. Knightley says, there is hardly any desiring to refresh such a memory as that. What I think he's saying there is, like, I wouldn't try to make you remember all of the bad parts of Emma, but I have no problem doing so. So let me just talk about it. Basically, yeah. It's basically cool. like, yeah, you wiped this from your brain, which is fine. And I don't want you to like have those memories again, but I still have them. So I'm going to bitch about yeah. it. <laughs> so he complains about Emma some more. He says that uh, she's been spoiled by always being the cleverest in her family. And at 14, she was able to answer questions that stumped her older sister at 17. I'm wondering why that's a bad thing. Well, we talked about this just a little bit before, which is that she's an incredibly entitled, privileged girl mm, who's not really- Thinks too highly of herself. Yes. And she's in a position in society where she like has a lot of influence, has a lot of power. She also doesn't have a lot to do. She's a woman in 19th century England who is way too clever to be- really entertained by the goings on of everything around her. So essentially she's just too smart for her own good. And she has to create stuff to do for herself to entertain her own brain. Like, um, have you watched Abbott elementary yet? No. Okay. Can I give you a spoiler? Spoilers for the first season of Abbott elementary It's not really a spoilery show, but it's a great example. So I'm just going to throw it out there. There's a plot line surrounding a second grader who is really a troublemaker. And she's like, like really vicious with the other kids, like really horrible for the teachers, a total handful. And there she's like a nightmare and they're trying to figure out why she's such a nightmare. And they realize that she's like also while being the classical clown and terrorizing the other children, getting all of her work done really early. And they're like, she's bored. That's why. So they have her skip a grade up and that like solves a lot of her behavioral issues. So basically Emma is an understimulated young woman who needs stimulation and is reaching out in all these different ways to try to find it. That's fascinating that Mr. Knightley has like figured that out because he's been concerned about her being like bored and being too full of herself or being like too like not having enough to do or whatever. Like he's been concerned about that the last four chapters, but I guess he's known her her whole life. 
yeah, he he knows her better than anyone, except like maybe her father. But her father's obviously very blinded to who she actually is as a person, whereas Knightley sees her very clearly and can point out all the bad things about her and basically be like, this is why this is a problem. Yeah. And this is why it's going to be destructive for her and others. Right. He says that her mother was the only person who could cope with her and her mom died when she was 12. So she's just been like, running rampant and Mrs. Weston is like you never thought I was very good at my job did you because he thinks that nobody else was able to cope with Emma and he's like well you're a much better wife than a governess and while you were no help to Emma you were getting a good education from Emma quote on the very material matrimonial point of submitting your own will and doing as you were bid big yikes for Mr. Knightley there but savage yeah very big yikes for Mr. Knightley there but what I also love is then she basically is like it takes no effort to be Mr. Weston's wife and he's like you're such an amenable person and that quality is wasted on a person who's also amenable so like together like you don't have anything to do for each other right he's like you could do so much more but you uh don't have to so yes yeah he thinks maybe, though, that Mr. Weston will start getting grumpy with being too comfortable or maybe his son will come and plague him. And Mrs. Weston says, well, that'll never happen, which I think is foreshadowing. Is it? I think so. I wouldn't get confirmed or deny. I'll never win a staring contest with Becca. I try to keep my face as stone as possible, listeners. It's all for your benefit because if I spoil things for Molly, then this podcast is over. Exactly. Then Mr. Knightley jumps back to Harriet because he says, I'm not done yet. He says he thinks she's bad news because she thinks the sun shines out of Emma's butthole, basically. But she's a flatterer, but not in a conniving way. Like, it's not calculated. She's just completely thinks that Emma is the shit. And therefore, Emma will continue to think herself the shit. Yes. And also, I mean, like, have you ever known anybody who, like, only wants to be friends with people who, like, flatter them? Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, a very specific type of people and doesn't lead to a lot of growth. And basically what he's saying is that, like, all Harriet can do is worship Emma and that means that she's not challenging Emma and that means Emma's not growing as a person. Right. Emma needs to be challenged. Otherwise she regresses. Exactly. So he also thinks that Harriet will become a little bit refined by hanging out with Emma, but only enough to become uncomfortable around her own society, like the people that she's been with this whole time. He says that Emma's doctrines only give a little polish. Mrs. Weston still can't agree with him. And she's like, Emma looked so great last night. Like She she looked so well. And Mr. Knightley is like, okay. You caught me. She's hot. Stop twisting my arm about it. He's like, you'd rather talk of her person than her mind? Sure. Let's talk about her. I can't deny that she's pretty. And Mrs. Weston's like, she's not just pretty. She's the most beautiful person alive. And Mr. Knightley's like, well, I guess that's true. Which, first of all, this is like the first book I really think they do like a job of actually like describing how people look at all. And we get little like hints of it. So for Harriet, we know she's blonde haired, she's blue eyed, she's curvy. For Emma, we know she has hazel eyes and that she's sort of full figured, but like well built um, and tall. And that tells you something sort of like it gives you pictures of how these people actually look. And we haven't gotten that in the books yet. But I love this part because Knightley is like, fine, fine. He's like, yes, I've never seen anyone more handsome. Yes, yes. Like, I, She might aggravate me, but like, yes, I'll admit she's hot. She's really hot. What do you want from me? <laughs> and Mrs. Weston is basically just like, oh, yeah, she looked well. And he's like, yes, I know she's hot. She's beautiful. I get it. <laughs> Here, this is the exact quote from Mrs. Weston. 
Such an eye, a true hazel eye, and so brilliant. Regular features, open countenance with a complexion. Oh, what a bloom of full health and such a pretty height and size. Such a firm and upright figure. There is health not merely in her bloom, but in her air, her head, her glance. One hears sometimes of a child being, quote, the picture of health. But now, Emma always gives me the idea of being the complete picture of grown-up health. She is loveliness itself, Mr. Knightley, is not she? And then <laughs> he just responds, I have not a fault to find with her person, which is basically like, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love him. I do. I love him. I think I love him. Okay, good to know. Then Mrs. Weston goes on and on some more about how beautiful she is. And Mr. Knightley's like, well, yeah, and I don't find her personally vain. To which I was like, really? But then he clarifies that he means, like, she's not vain about her appearance. She's vain about a lot of other things. She's basically more obsessed with her own brain than her own face, which is nice. Yeah, I like that as a person. (laughs) Finally, they just agree to disagree on the relationship between Emma and Harriet. And Mrs. Weston says that Emma might have some little faults, but really she's the best daughter, the kindest sister, the truest friend, and she will never intentionally lead anyone wrong. Mr. Knightley says... He will keep his thoughts to himself until John, John, (laughs) another John, and Isabella come home for Christmas because, quote, John loves Emma with a reasonable and therefore not a blind affection. And Isabella always thinks as he does, except when he is not quite frightened enough about the children. Oh, you're getting a little insight already. You have John Knightley already sensible in a certain way, like his brother. And you have Isabella already a little more like her father. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Hmm, interesting. Mrs. Weston says she thinks no good will come of talking to them about the friendship between Emma and Harriet because Emma won't stop being friends with Harriet as long as it's a source of pleasure for her. And she's like, I'm sorry for giving you advice, but I've dealt with Emma for a long time. And he's like, actually, this advice will see a better fate than usual. I'll I'll actually follow it. And Mrs. Weston says that Isabella is easily alarmed and it might upset her to hear that her sister might be in a not so great friendship. So he says he won't say anything. He says, I have a very sincere interest in Emma and that Emma feels more like a sister to him than Isabella even does. And he feels an anxiety and curiosity for what will become of Emma. Very concerned about her. He then says Emma always says she will never marry, but he thinks she just hasn't met a man that she could possibly love yet. He says, it would not be a bad thing for her to be very much in love with a proper object. I should like to see Emma in love and in some doubt of a return. It would do her good. Basically, the moral of the whole story is that he just wants to see Emma knock down a few pegs. Absolutely. He wants to see her be vulnerable in some manner because she really thinks herself invulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Mrs. Weston replies to that saying she doesn't think Emma should get married yet, but she won't reveal hers and Mr. Weston's real thoughts on the subject because apparently they have some secret hopes and dreams for Emma, but they don't want anyone to know. On my first reading, I was like, what don't they want anyone to know? Like, what are their hopes and dreams for Emma? On my second skim through as I was typing my notes, I realized they want Emma to get together with Mr. Weston's son, whose name I've forgotten. Frank? Frank. That's my prediction. I will neither confirm nor deny that. I really think that's what it is. So that's the end of that chapter. Which brings us to Becca's study questions. 
Oh, listeners, we are tired tonight, so, so we are tired. going to do these rapid fire. Um, so we talked about this a little bit, but much is said in these two chapters about the friendship between Harriet and Emma, both from Jane Austen herself, Emma, Harriet herself, and also Mr. Knightley and Mrs. Weston. Um, who do you think is right? What do you think the dynamics of this relationship are? The benefits, the dangers, and so on. I think I agree with Mr. Knightley. I also think I agree with Mrs. Weston. And I think that if Harriet and Emma are happy, that's great. But I don't agree with Emma in that, like, I don't think a friendship should just be to help someone or, like, you know, you have to think really highly of yourself to think that your friendship is benefiting someone else. The friendship goes two ways. And usually you're not thinking about the benefits of a friendship. You're thinking about, like, the joys of it. So I don't agree with Emma. I think I agree with everyone else. I think Harriet is just happy to have a new friend unless she's not unless she's like sneaky but I don't think she is I think she's truly innocent though I don't know yet I think that Emma is definitely too lonely for her own good so it is good that she has a person there I just don't like her own motives in it but I hope she has fun I guess but I do agree with Mrs. Weston in that Emma needs someone there because otherwise she's gonna drive herself just she's just gonna run herself into the ground just walking in circles I guess and I agree with Mr. Knightley in that Emma needs someone to match her not someone who she can just like drag along because as you said that doesn't lead to any personal growth and Emma is getting to the point where she needs to have someone challenge her so I agree with with everyone, but mostly with Mr. Knightley. Yeah, I think everyone does really make nuanced points, but I think Knightley touches on something quite important there. Um, and I think one thing that we haven't talked about a little bit, and we're going to talk about it now, would be the economics of friendship in Jane Austen. Ooh, a new sound effect. Graham, a sound effect. So one dynamic of the relationship we touched on last week, but I want to bring up again today, is to say that... Harriet is of a much lower class than Emma. Emma is a gentleman's daughter and her father is extraordinarily wealthy to the point where Emma is secure for life. And Harriet is not. So part of the reason Emma feels this superiority over Harriet is because despite what Emma says about her possibly being a gentleman's daughter, which is stuff that Emma's kind of pulling out of her ass, um, Harriet is not very well connected and Harriet is not of good birth. And so she's taking an interest in this young girl who really doesn't have much going for her in terms of the marriage market, in terms of uh, societal connections, all things we've learned over our time reading Jane Austen that are really important. So Emma taking this specific interest in her is giving Harriet a look into a social class that has not been available to her as of yet. And Emma is partially so willing to sort of shape Harriet to her own place because she does sense that Harriet is beneath her. But on the other hand, Emma is reaching across a class wall. What Mr. Knightley is partially picking up on is not just that Emma must be challenged by someone. It's also this danger, and he voices it about Harriet getting a polish on her, that there are ways in which the classes in England don't mesh well because of the way the society is structured. And there's benefits to that in this friendship and there's weaknesses to that in the friendship. And one of the big weaknesses 
is this idea that Harriet's entering a world that's a bit alien to her. So this is part of the dynamic that's kind of hard to capture in the, like the today because you would think, yeah, I mean, we've learned about the economics of dating in Jane Austen, but the economics of your connections, the economics of your friendships are also very important. So it's a weird space. That being said, also, you can see there's genuine affection between the two of them. So it's Jane Austen asking some interesting and tough questions about class in this time period. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It just it opens up a whole new can of worms, really, because we've only thought about it in terms of dating and marriage. Yes. No, this book, you're right. This book is already focused on other aspects of relationships and connections. And one of those relationships slash connections is this friendship between Emma and Harriet, which on one hand is filled with lots of love and admiration. And on the other hand is got a got a class dynamic to it which makes the friendship itself pretty problematic. And Knightley's picking up on the fact that it means that Emma has a power over Harriet and that Harriet's very susceptible to being taught how to do things the exact Emma way because Emma is the only person she's interacting with from that class. What's interesting is that it doesn't seem like anyone's concerned about the possibility of Harriet being a gold digger. Well, I mean, how is she going to get Emma's money? Well, if Emma starts buying her stuff or like taking her to balls and things like places where she wouldn't have access before. It's not I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting that that's not on anyone's mind, because I feel like at least today, like if there was a story about someone dating or like becoming friends with someone who was like super rich, like I feel like the rich person's always like, are you trying to steal my money? Not to, you know, say that all rich people are finicky with their money, but just in media, I guess. Well, I mean, Emma's pretty generous um, as a person, like with her with her wealth and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think what it is right now, and I mean, there's obviously more story to go. Right now, people aren't concerned about that because all that's happening is they're walking together and Emma's giving Harriet an earful on how to live life. Right. So right now, everyone's more concerned that Emma will get up her own ass so far that she can't see anymore. And that Harriet will just imbue and imbibe everything Emma has taught her for her own sake. Yeah. Which I guess... doesn't work when you're at Harriet's class level necessarily. Right. And I guess what I meant more was that nobody's concerned about her being a Lucy Steele. Yes. Yes. Part of that is that no one expected Lucy Steele to do any of that either. So true. So, I mean, we'll get farther into the story and I don't want to give things away. But, you know, as of right now, she's not in a place where she's set to steal any of Emma's money. But, you know. Totally. I am not going to say what happens later on in the story. And I don't think she's going to steal Emma's money, but more social climbing. Yeah. Potentially. Like, maybe she becomes, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Uh, What do you make of Robert Martin and his thirst for Harriet? I really like him. He's really sweet. And I think that Emma's making so many snap judgments about him that she has no right to be making. He works hard. He's not like super duper smart, but he's smart enough. Like, I don't know. I really like him. And I think that Harriet really likes him, too. And she's so easily influenced that she could be told you don't like him. And then she'll be like, oh, right. Sorry, I forgot. Like, I wondered that he didn't have the book. Right, exactly. It's very clear. Like, it's borderline cruel how Emma is to Robert Martin in these chapters. And uh, it's clear from her read on the situation that she, again, she and Harriet come from very different worlds. And in Harriet's world, Robert Martin's kind of an impressive guy. And in Emma's world, Emma's just so far above all that 
that she can't fathom that anyone would want to date him. So you really get the lens of each woman on this man based on sort of where they fall in relation to him in class. But that being said, he just seems like a total little mensch, doesn't he? I really like him. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Uh, so then next question is, is there a charitable explanation for the way Emma talks about Robert Martin? That she doesn't know any better? I mean, that is a charitable way of looking at it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that you could make an argument, and I'm not saying this is the correct argument, that when you look at the economics of dating in Jane Austen, she is looking to make a more advantageous connection for Harriet, who does not have a lot of connections. And so in some ways, she's helped trying to help Harriet secure a future that's better for her. Now, Emma's flighty and privileged. So like, it's more of a thought experiment than a concrete knowledge of what she's thinking. But, you know, we grow up in the society we grow up in. And in Emma's society, people marry for money. She doesn't need to, but most people do. Right. I think that you're correct in that. And that is what I thought was happening. Like, I think she was being more mean about Robert than she needed to because she wanted to plant the idea in Harriet's head that he's not good enough for her, but he doesn't deserve that. But I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's accurate. And we're going to get more into this as the book goes on, but what do you think of Jane Austen's take on all this? Like, what's her class take here so far? I don't know, because she's definitely made it clear that Emma is flawed. And the narration hints at that and it also hints at Robert being a good guy but at the same time Emma's likable as a per like she's both like like Mr. Knightley is likable so Emma's flawed Mr. Knightley can see through everything it's it's interesting but I think that she is saying that this is flawed all right we're gonna stick a pin into it and come back to it later okay. but I want to just plant these seeds totally. as we go on. So thoughts on Knightley's perception of Emma. We learn a lot about it. And we also learn a lot about Mr. Knightley for the first time in this chapter, this last one, at least. Mr. Knightley knows Emma so well, like better than she knows herself, clearly. Like she is clueless about a lot of things about herself. And he can see through these things. I think he it's interesting that he says that he sees her more as a sister than he sees Isabella, who married his brother. I think he just means he's like invested in her life. Yeah. Yeah. He like cares more about her. Like he cares about her like his own family and they fight all the time and he is irritated by her, but still super invested in her life. So that's interesting. Um, How old is he? He's in his 30s. And how old is Emma? She's 21. Right. 20. Right, right, right. 21. 21. I think she's 21. Yeah, she's 21. Uh, so, yeah, it's the first time we've had this sort of friendship showcased right away in a Jane Austen novel. But, like, they, we've dropped in the middle of it in a, in a way that we haven't seen in other novels necessarily. And, therefore, there's a lot of context that we're just supposed to pick up on. And one of the things that this chapter accomplishes is showing sort of, like, how deep this connection and this uh, friendship goes over the years. So you get really a sense of how integral Knightley's been to the Woodhouses and their life up until this point. Totally. This isn't related, but I just realized that Emma's a lot older than Harriet, too. Yes. Right? Yes. I didn't um, realize that. 
Not like shockingly so. But like a couple of years. Like four or five. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. That just yeah. adds to Harriet yeah. worshiping her. Everything about the dynamic is very lopsided between the two of them. Emma's more educated. Emma has so much more money. Emma has so much more class training. And uh, Emma is cleverer. Emma is older. And therefore, there's just like nothing in this friendship for Emma to be challenged by or like taken down by. It's just Harriet adores her and is feeling so flattered to be singled out by her. And Emma loves being flattered and thinks Harriet's a wonderful young woman. And like that part is genuine. But there is this weirdness to their friendship where it's really off balance there's really not a lot of mitigating factors in there to like to like pull them down to the same level right so thoughts on elton the thought he's the thought like i don't know if people are still saying that do you mean that hoe over there like that thought yeah (laughs) (laughs) i hadn't thought of him like that but yeah uh, thought of him like that (laughs) thought um i don't i guess that he, I I just think he's kind of I think we're settling with him just based on the descriptions of him so far. He's not as haughty as Knightley and he's not as clever as Mr. Weston. He's just nice, which is great. But as Little Red says in Into the Woods, nice is different than good. I thought that was the witch. No, it's Little Red. No, might might be both of them actually. Cuz nice is different than good oh because that goes to from good because it's the you're not good you're not bad you're just nice i'm not good i'm not nice i'm just right yeah yeah oh yeah Mm -hmm. wow yeah good good stuff (laughs) copyright um yeah but anyway yeah i just think that he he's so far nondescript yes we'll find out more so right now it's it's i hope we don't settle i don't want us to settle okay yeah okay okay Okay, we're not settling. We're not settling, listeners. It's not happening. (laughs) Why won't Emma marry? And what designs do the Westons have? Emma won't marry because she doesn't have to, so she's just never thought about it. That's what I think. Like, she... And maybe she's opposed to marriage. She doesn't want someone to have any kind of power over her. And at this point, like, this point in time, I feel like marriage is very much like a man and a woman, and the man is in charge, and the woman is also there. Um, and there are some like really good marriages that we've seen, like the gardeners have a good marriage and, but like, then you have like other marriages who are not good, like Wickham and Lydia or I don't know. Oh, shoot. What's, what's the Hugh Laurie character's name? Like, yes. Like, um, the Palmers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You see where the man is like so irritated by the woman and, and I think that Emma just doesn't want to be underneath someone else. Like she doesn't want to be financially or emotionally dependent on anyone yeah and you see her so sort of embedded in this world that she's in and happy in this world where she's in and there nothing needs to change for her she's not in any serious danger of being impoverished so so why would she so instead she's just walking around flitting about love and life yeah exactly and i think that the the westons want her to marry their son i'll need to confirm nor deny anyway uh so that brings us to our standbys because we have a new standby. Remember? What do you think of Emma? Right. I still am annoyed by her, but I can't not like her. Like, I just, mm, yeah, I'm just, I'm still annoyed by her. I think she's a snob. 
she is certainly a snob. That is correct. Yeah, that's where I stand right now. Yes, um, and that's a fair place to stand. Uh, we will continue to ask these questions, and I will continue to ask what you think of this character because, as we've already seen in these first five chapters, she's so layered as a character. She's so much. There's so much to talk about with the character of Emma. Yeah, she's like, as Mary Berry would say, layers, layers, layers. Yes, she's a cake or an onion. <laughs> Emmas are like onions. Emma's are like onions. Emma's are like onions. All right. Funniest quote. I think it it might be after this entire conversation they're having about Emma and her mind and her situation with Harriet, Mrs. Weston being like, but isn't she hot though? And he goes, and Mr. Knightley goes, oh, you would rather talk of her person than her mind, would you? Very well. I shall not attempt to deny Emma's being pretty. It's great stuff. Fine. Fine. I admit it. She's hot. She's a thought. Yeah. Questions moving forward. I want to know the Weston's designs for Emma. I want to know what they're thinking. I want to know more about Mr. Elton. I want to know who his family is. I want to know what his deal is. I think those are my questions. Who wins the chapters? I think I have to give it to Mr. Knightley for one, having the best opinions, and two, being, (gasps) I figured out who he reminds me of. He reminds me of Luke, because he's just kind of grumpy, but hot. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just right now, that's who he reminds me of, but he's, just for being a lovable grump, I give it to Mr. Knightley. I am so on board with that. Yeah. All right, listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. For next time, we're going to be reading chapters six through eight. It's a bit of a long one, so you might feel like a longer record sesh, but I didn't want to split these chapters, so we're not going to split them up. So that's all we've got for you today. And until next time, stay proper. And find a farmer who will collect walnuts in the woods for you. Yeah! Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.